read in that pattern all the way through verse 20. The Bible says in verse 15, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Together, verse 16, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. I want to preach a sermon this morning for you entitled, Why I Love Church. Why I Love Church. I hope you love church. And some of you this morning uh, uh, listening in uh, from online, you can't be here. Uh, maybe you're at a place with your health where you can't be here for one reason or another. I hope that your heart yearns and bleeds to get back to church. There are others of you that are only here out of obligation or someone twisted your arm really hard to be here. Uh, I hope that by the time you leave here this morning, you'll be convicted to deeper love church and to be a bigger part of it. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, take the uh, truths we'll look at and move in our hearts and move in our midst and help us, Lord, to uh, have a greater appreciation for the church, the church that you uh, bled for, the church that you died for, the church that you founded. Uh, Lord, you are the rock that the church sits upon. And Lord, when we're out of, out of church, in part, our feet are off of that rock. And so, Lord, help us to see the importance of it and to greater involve ourselves in it and have a deeper passion for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Praise God, I am 36 years old. I know that I look older than that, um, but I'm only 36 years old. Uh, but all 36 years of my life, I have been part of a Bible-believing, gospel-promoting church. And church has been very, very good to me. I wish I could say that every experience that I've ever had in church has been positive, but the truth is, I've, I have suffered my share of hurts and disappointments as a result of going to and being part of a church family. You know why, don't you? Because churches are filled with sinners. The truth is, if you get close enough to me, you get to know me well enough, you're going to realize that I have some shortcomings. That I am flawed. And my flaws and shortcomings hurt. They hurt people. You get close enough to me, my shortcomings and flaws might even hurt you. But the truth is, you have shortcomings and flaws too, don't you? And if I got close enough to you, they'd probably hurt me. Um, church is a place where people get to know people. And people end up hurting people. What, what do people do when they get hurt by church? When, when hurt comes to, to people at church, I have found that they respond in one of a few ways. Some people get hurt by church and they just quit church altogether. 
they quit church altogether. Uh, I bet there's even a handful of people here at one point or another, you just gave up on church. And you're back now, but for a while, a season of time in your life, you just determined that you weren't going to church. Here's what many people who quit church altogether, they say. They say this, they say, churches are full of hypocrites. So I'm not going back. Do you understand how flawed that logic is? I bet your workplace is filled with hypocrites. I bet your boss is a hypocrite. On some level. Some of you say, I am the boss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I bet your coworkers are hypocrites. I bet sometimes they say things and then they don't come through on them. I bet sometimes they do things that hurt your feelings or hurt you. How many of you have ever been hurt at work? Would you raise your hand if you've ever been hurt at work? Be honest with me this morning. Raise your hand for me. I bet you still go to work. I bet you don't go, up. Oh, work is full of hypocrites. I'm not going back. So why do we do it with church? You know, the, the, the clerk at the grocery store is a hypocrite. The manager that runs that grocery store is a hypocrite. And probably, in some cases, a vile person. But it doesn't keep you from going to the grocery store, does it? You know why? We value money. We value food. You're not going to let hypocrites stand between you and making money, as you shouldn't. So why do we let hypocrites stand between us and growing closer to God? Some just flat out quit church altogether. Other people, other people that get hurt by church, they switch churches. Now, in some cases, this is the right move. Sometimes when you get hurt at church, switching churches is the right move. Sometimes. But you should never, ever, ever, ever switch churches without prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Boy, uh, and, and let me give you one exception to this. Where there's doctrinal error, leave. You don't need to pray about it. If there's doctrinal error, you go. But if the doctrine of the church is right, but you got your feelings hurt at church, or somebody did something that offended you or deeply hurt you, boy, before you leave, you better make sure you pray and you fast and you have a complete green light from the Lord to move on and switch churches. How many of you here have ever heard of the Greener Grass Baptist Church? Greener Grass Baptist Church. Boy, um, there used to be a deacon here by the name of Norm Abbey. He was here before I was. And he used to, I've heard, he used to always talk about the Greener Grass Baptist Church. And you know what? There is no such thing as the Greener Grass Baptist Church. Because everyone thinks that their church is not the Greener Grass Baptist Church. And you know what? You see another church and you think, man, it's great, it's grand, it's glorious. Maybe even you look at another denomination and you think, all oh, the Baptists, they have all these problems. We're going to go and try this other thing out. And then you get over there and you realize that their grass might be green, but it was a whole lot of manure that made that grass green. You know what you find when you bury your nose in grass? You find that there's dirt beneath all of it. There's dirt beneath all of it. You, you could attend here and have a critical spirit, and you know what you're going to find? You're going to, think, find, you're going to find things to be critical about. Because our sign out front does not read Perfect Baptist Church. 
it reads White Oak Baptist Church. I've heard someone say one time, there is no perfect church, and if you find it, don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore. (laughs) Amen? How many say that's true for me? If I joined that church, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. Some people, when they get hurt at church, they switch churches. Other people, uh, they respond a little bit differently. Some stay through a hurt, but they grow distant. I'm talking about someone who used to be all in. I mean, they helped in the nursery or they sang in the a choir or special music. They were involved maybe on a bus route or they, they helped uh, with a Sunday school or a life group. They, uh, they ushered. They uh, helped in the AV ministry. They uh, maybe helped clean the church or mow the lawn. They, anything and every, they came to all the services. Every way they could be involved, they were involved. And then somewhere along the line, somebody disappointed them. Somebody let them down. Somebody did something that crossed them and got their spirit sideways. And so instead of quitting church or instead of switching churches, they left their name on the membership roll, but they backed way up. Now they don't help at anything. They only come once a week or occasionally. They're very distant in their involvement. They're slow to answer text messages or phone calls from the church staff. They really are keeping the church at an arm's distance. Why? They got hurt at church. They don't want to leave church, but they just said, I'll minimalize its impact in my life. Someone listens to this introduction and they think, well, Pastor Lejeune, you're being quite insensitive and cold toward some of the church hurts that are out there. And Pastor Lejeune, if you only knew my church hurt, you would change your tone a little bit. Listen again, I've been in church for 36 years, and back in 2017, I preached a sermon entitled, What to Do When Church Hurts. And in that sermon, I shared my war stories. In fact, I was going through my YouTube news, uh, my YouTube uh, curated videos the other day, and a video from White Oak Baptist Church popped up from way back in 2017. And the title of the sermon wasn't there, but I noticed that it had over a thousand views. And I said, we have a sermon that's been viewed a thousand times. It was this sermon right here. What to do when church hurts. It's been viewed over a thousand times. You know what that tells me? A lot of people have been hurt at church. A lot of people have been hurt at church. Can I tell you that I've been hurt at church a lot? I've been thrown out of a church. And when I was thrown out of that church, I lived in the church's parsonage. I worked on the staff. I wasn't fired for anything I did. I was just fired because the pastor just wanted to replace me, so he just threw me out. Now, it was his prerogative. He had every right to replace me. Uh, He can hire and fire who he chooses. But, boy, he was as rude as possible about it, and he kicked me out of the church. Boy, that hurt. When I was a teenager, I was accused of, 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 of doing something that was just scandalous and awful and come to find out it was the pastor who had done it and he had blamed me and my brother for it. Well, I've been hurt at church. I know of children who've been violated and hurt by church leaders at church. So when I talk about church hurts, I, oh, I'm very aware of what church can do. But please hear what I'm about to say. As badly as I've been hurt by church, church has done me a whole lot more good than it has bad. And at the end of the day, I come to this strong conclusion, I love church. 
I passionately love church. Listen, there's no other place I'd rather be on a Sunday than White Oak Baptist Church. No other place. There's no other people I'd rather be around than you all. And uh, by the way, this needs to be said in the introduction. The picture on your screen is of our church property there, a silhouette of our church property. That building is not the church. You are the church. The people that meet here are the church. Uh, the folks who are here at 8.30 are the church. The people make up the church. And uh, God has called us to love the church. Now, this morning I want to hop in and I want to give you four thoughts about what church is supposed to be to us collectively and to us individually. Four purposes God had in mind when He founded the church some 2,000 years ago. Turning your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Point number one, notice a church should be a place of community. Church should be a place of community. Notice letter A, a community that shares a, and here's the word, commonality. Commonality. A, a church that shares a commonality. Um, we have some things as church members, as those that gather here, that we are to have in common. Look at verse number 12. And if you're going to enjoy community, boy, you better have some things in common. Look at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. It says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. How are they one body? So also is Christ. So, excuse me, so also is Christ. What is the commonality that we share? We're going to look at another commonality here in a minute. But the first commonality we share is a commonality in Christ. What does that mean? That means if you're part of White Oak Baptist Church, your name is on the membership roll, you are supposed to have put your faith and trust in Christ alone first to be your Savior. Salvation is not about being a good person. Salvation is not about being reformed. Salvation is not about turning over a new leaf. Salvation is not about having your name on a membership roll. Salvation comes when we trust Jesus, and Jesus alone is our way to heaven. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And because I've put my faith and trust in Christ, and because if, if this applies, you put your faith in Christ, we share a commonality, and from that commonality we can have community community. Let me just say this here to you this morning. If you're in our service or watching online and you've yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior, please don't delay. Uh, boy, that's, that is of the utmost importance. The Bible tells us that our life is like a vapor. It appeareth for a little time and then passeth away. Uh, the Bible tells us that, uh, uh, that uh, as it is appointed in a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. The truth is, we all hope that we live to a ripe old age. We don't know when our last day on earth is. And the death can come at any moment to any of us unexpectedly. And boy, what you've done with Christ... At that moment, before you die, when you die, that is all that's going to matter. And I would just encourage you, before we move on with the sermon, please put your faith and trust the Bible, in Christ. The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Trust Him so that you can be saved. A commonality 
in Christ, what commonality do we have? We have the commonality of, of, of Jesus being our Savior. Look at verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. The day you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God uh, takes up residence in your heart. He moves in your heart and He begins to live inside of you. Your body becomes a temple where the Spirit of God dwells. And through that dwelling of the Spirit, God's Spirit lives in me. And if you're saved, God's Spirit lives in you. And through that, we share that community, that commonality. Can I just say, say something right here? If, if it wasn't for Christ and salvation, I would not be living. I would have never moved to the state of Connecticut. Amen? All right? People are moving out of Connecticut, hardly moving into Connecticut. You know why I moved to Connecticut? So I could get to be a part of White Oak Baptist Church. Because I wanted to share a community with each of you. I wanted to get to enjoy co-laboring together with each of you for the gospel of Christ. We share that community because we share a commonality. Notice here, a church should be a place of community, a place of commonality. Notice, let it be a community that feels a sense of completion. Of completion. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse number 14 with me. We'll read down through verse number 22. The Bible says, For the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it not therefore, is it, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But uh, now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the, the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. The Bible compares the church to a human body. And boy, what a great uh, uh, comparison here. You know what? My hand has a completely different uh, 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 function than my neck or my foot or my leg. But just because my hand looks different and operates in a way that's different and, and accomplishes different things, doesn't make it any more valuable or less valuable than any other part of me. Now, some things I want to draw out of this idea here of the church being compared or paralleled to a body here. One body part is not more important than another. One body part is not more important than another. You may be the hand of the church and someone else may be the spleen of the church. One is more uh, obvious in sight and one is uh, more out of sight. But, but praise God, I, I could probably get away with my hand a lot better than I could without my spleen. Right? But both are necessary. You don't think it's necessary, try chopping your hand off or rather just pull something up over your hand and cover your hand for a week and see how you get by. Don't chop your hand off, amen? I can see someone now, ah, Pastor Lejeune told me to chop my hand off. Lawsuit! Don't sue the church, don't chop your hand off, amen? All body parts are necessary. Just because someone is different doesn't mean that they're not equal. You with me here? Well, we live in a culture that says women need to act just like men. And men need to act just like women because different means less. Oh, no, 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 no. You can carry a different role in your marriage and still be just as equal. Different does not mean less. Amen? Stronger does not mean superior. Stronger does not mean superior. 
Just because one uh, part of the body is stronger in nature uh, does not mean that it's superior. If you were to have a weightlifting contest between my arm and my liver, I'm pretty sure my arm would win. My liver would not be able to lift anything. But you know, without my liver, I can't live. Stronger does not mean superior. More public does not mean superior. I stand up here and I preach today, but you know what? There are people working the nursery right now. There are ladies upstairs getting the luncheon that we're going to have after the service ready. Uh, There are those of you sitting here in the audience listening to the message. There are ushers who uh, collected the offering and uh, are are sorting through that and getting that into place. Uh, There are people who built the PowerPoint and are working the sound booth to make sure the audio is good. There was a pianist that played earlier. Someone came in here and cleaned this building. Someone worked a bus route today to get a whole bunch of you... uh, here this morning, all of you got up and got yourselves ready and your families ready and got in their car and came to church. Listen, I might have the most public spot in the building right now, but please understand that my position and my uh, duty at church is no more important than anyone else's. We all are part of the body of Christ. We must all do our role. Let me illustrate. When I was a little boy, I attended church. And you know what my role was in the body of Christ as a boy? It was to go to junior church It was to be nice to the other boys and girls around me, and it was to encourage the junior church preacher. Because I did those things, or as I did those things, church, watch this, church completed me, and I helped complete the church. And then I grew into a preteen. And as I became a preteen, I began to help on a Sunday school bus. And I got on that Sunday school bus and I would help get boys and girls on the bus for church and men and women on the bus for church. And as I filled my role within that church, watch this, I helped complete the church and the church helped complete me. And then I got to be a teenager and they made me a bus captain on a Sunday school bus. And I was in charge of making sure people got to church and things were organized and folks were visited and new riders were found to ride the bus and the bus route continued to go and there was a driver and all that was coordinated. And you know what? As I did my duty, as I did my role, I was helping to complete the church and the church was helping to complete me. And then I was a newlywed. Uh, uh, Shortly after I graduated college, I became a newlywed. And then my role in that church, I helped in the Spanish department. Now, I didn't speak a whole lot of Spanish, but I did my part to help. And through that, I helped. I began to learn a little bit of Spanish, and I was able to help complete the church, and the church was able to help complete me. And then I became an assistant pastor, and I was put over various roles within the church. I began to have more of a public uh, um, a position within the church, and uh, more of a prominent role within the church. But all the same, watch this now, uh, I was helping to complete the church, and the church was helping to complete me. And then four years ago, I became the lead pastor here, and I I took on a a greater leadership role, and again, I was working, I've been working to complete the church, and the church is working to complete me. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. It was just important for me as a little boy to complete the church as it is as a grown man and a lead pastor to complete the church. They're no different. The difference is I have more responsibility, but I get just as much completion out of being in church. Some of you want to look around and say, I don't have this role or that role. Or maybe if I was a deacon, maybe if I was 
the nursery director. Maybe if I could sing like her. Maybe if I could uh, have his speaking ability. Maybe if I could do this or that, then I would be complete. My friend, no. You show up to church and you enjoy the community of church because church is meant to complete you, but you must do your part to bring completion to the church. Church is to be a place of community. Notice commonality and completion. Letter C, notice a community that shows concern. That shows concern. Look down at verse 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says that there should be no schism, no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now are ye the body of Christ, and members in particular. Hey, listen, White Oak Baptist Church. It's time for us to put unity back in community. It's time for us to put unity back in community. You know, if I were to go to the doctor uh, tomorrow, let's just say I wasn't feeling well and I was having some serious health problems, and I were to go see a doctor and the doctor were to refer me to a specialist, and then after a battery of tests were run, they came to the conclusion that my bodily systems were attacking each other. You know what? They would label me a sick, sick, sick person. Especially if I had multiple bodily systems attacking other bodily systems. I, I know a lot of churches where the members are attacking each other. I just want to say this to you here today. Don't you ever, ever, ever get on the phone or the social media machine or the text message and talk negative about another brother or sister that you go to church with. Don't you ever do that. You know what that is? That's the hand punching the eye and and swelling that eye. That's the hand attacking the foot. That's the foot kicking itself. We're not to attack each other. We're not to put each other down. Boy, we're to show concern for each other. Hey, someone acts up and acts out of place, instead of berating them and attacking them and putting them down, maybe you stop and say, well, their, their behavior is off. Maybe they're having a problem. Maybe I should pray for them. Maybe I should show con- some concern about them. Boy, don't let our church be driven by schisms and by problems, but rather by concern. These things inhibit community. And brothers and sisters in Christ... Church is to be a place of community. Quickly, number two, notice, a church is to be a place of compassion. Of compassion. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, over to the book of Jude. Jude chapter number two. Jude chapter number two. Let me know. Raise your hand when you find Jude chapter number two. There is no Jude chapter two. Amen? There's only one chapter in the book of Jude. I was just making sure you're awake this morning. And so we have Jude 1 on the screen. There really isn't even one. It's just Jude, the book of Jude. And uh, we're going to look at uh, verse 20 uh, through verse 25 in time. But notice letter A. Uh, Church is to be a place of compassion, letter A. A haven from the storm. A haven from the storm. Uh, Life kicks us all in the mouth, does it not? We go through life and it ebbs and flows. It has its ups and downs. It has its uh, times to rejoice and times of great heartache. And church is to be a place where we can come when the storm is just howling in our life and, and for at least a few moments, a few hours, feel a respite from that storm. 
feel rest from that storm. Feel as though we've walked into a building out of a rainstorm and we can finally not have the wind howling in our face. Feel like, finally feel like for a few minutes, uh, that um, uh, for a few moments rather, that we have a place to cope, a, a place to feel secure, a place where we can take a deep breath and know that just for a little while everything's going to be okay. Look at verse number 20. Keep in mind this is being written to Christians, but ye or all of you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Who's he writing this to? The beloved. What does that imply? That implies a couple of things. The word beloved implies those that are saved, those who have been accepted into the love of Christ, or rather have accepted the love of Christ into their hearts. What does that word beloved mean? It means that you gather together and you love on each other, a haven from the storm. We're to build up ourselves, build up yourselves on your most holy faith. First uh, Timothy chapter, or rather First Thessalonians chapter four, we find Paul addressing a very discouraged church at Thessalonica. Listen to what he tells them here. He's encouraging them with the news that one day Jesus will come back and rapture his church. He says this: For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I can't think of more comforting words than will forever be with the Lord. Then listen to what Paul tells this church, this scourged church body in verse 18. He says this, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Hey, listen. When life gets you down, go to church. Go to church. Find a brother and sister in the Lord who knows how to show God's love and ask them to sit down with you and pray with you. Don't hesitate to pick up the phone during the week and call a brother and sister in Christ and say, Boy, I'm just having a tough week. Can you pray for me? Let church be a haven in the storms of life. Let her be, notice, a hospital for the sick. A hospital for the sick. Look at verse number 21 of, of Jude. It says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You know what the church is supposed to be? You listening this morning? church is supposed to be a spiritual hospital. Now watch this. I've been a part of many churches that weren't hospitals, they were museums. Christians showed up and they were fake and phony. They came in pretending to be something they weren't. They came in to show off how spiritual they were. Listen, I'm all for getting dressed up to go to church. I think it's a good thing. I think you ought to put on your Sunday best and go to church. But part of the problem with putting on your Sunday best to come to church is that you look really nice on the outside while you're really broken on the inside. The age-old illustration is the husband and wife that scream and holler at each other all the way to church. They pull up in the parking lot. They push the wrinkles out of their clothes and out of their attitude, they get out of church, they tuck their Bible on their arm, they take a big breath and say, 
It is good to be in the house of the Lord. And they walk into church and they say to the pastor, Oh, it's so good to see you today. While their blood is just boiling at each other. One of the things I've worked hard to do the last four years, and I hope it's been a breath of fresh air for all of you, I've worked to be transparent. I have shared with you some of my shortcomings and struggles as a human, as a person. Listen, let me just say this. Don't ever, 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 ever put the pastor up on a pedestal. Don't do that. I think you should respect the people who hold authority or positions in the church. But don't you think that for a moment a pastor is above any sin or struggle that you would struggle with. You hear that a pastor falls into deep sin? Hey, listen, understand that pastors have a bigger target on their back than the average Christian. And Satan knows if he can take a pastor down, he's probably going to take a lot of other people down with him. And so Satan goes hard at pastors. But don't put the pastor up on a pedestal. Don't put the deacons up on a pedestal. That's not where they belong. Who belongs on a pedestal? The Lord Jesus Christ. You put Him on a pedestal. By the way, I have no more access to God in heaven than you do. People think I'm going to ask the pastor to pray for me, and boy, something great's going to happen. Listen, if I've got sin in my life, my prayer isn't effective. If you don't have sin in your life, then your prayer is effective. And I work hard to stay effective in my prayer life, and you ought to as well. But I have no more of God's ear than you do. What is church supposed to be? It's supposed to be a hospital where spiritually sick people come. You know, the Bible is the medicine. And as I give out, I distribute the medicine as a doctor would at a, at a hospital. You know, that medicine sometimes is preventative measure. But other times, it's soothing balm for your hurting soul to help you. Church ought to be a place where sinners feel welcomed. Somebody walks into our church and it looks like they dipped their face into a tackle box right before they walked in. They've got piercings all over. Don't you ever look at somebody like that and, and, and treat them any different or think any less of them? This is a hospital. They are to be welcomed here. Boy, we ought to throw open our arms and say, what can we do to love on you? We shouldn't be turning people away because they look different than us or smell different than us or act different than us or dress different than us. You open up your heart and say, this is a place for hurting people and we want you here. I was in a church one time. I pastored a Spanish church one time and a couple quit coming for a little while. I found them finally. They were avoiding me. I found them. I said, uh, Domingo, Juanita, where have you two been? And they kind of, uh, uh, you, know, you know, did the evasive maneuver thing. And finally I pinned them down and they said, well, there were some people sitting behind us the last time we were there and it was obvious they were drunk. And if drunk people are welcomed at your church, then we don't want to be there. And I got a horrified look on my face and I looked at her and I said, if you don't want to go to church where sinners are, then you just shouldn't come. What if we had a chain smoker who wanted to come to church here? And in the middle of the service, they had such a craving to smoke a cigarette that they snuck behind the building and started to smoke and you caught them. <gasps> Pastor! Somebody is smoking on the church property. 
what do you want me to do? Call the police? <laughs> is church a hospital or is it not? Aren't you glad that on your worst week you still feel welcome here? Aren't you glad that when you're struggling, you can walk in the door and feel the love of Jesus be showered down upon you? Oh, let's not become a museum, White Oak Baptist Church. Let's remain a hospital. Let's be a place of compassion. Letter C, notice, church is to be a place of compassion. Letter C, a hub for the servant. A hub for the servant. Look at verse 22 of Jude. Look here. And of some have compassion, making a difference. Who are the some? Boy, these are the servants who are having compassion on the world. They're making a difference on the world. Verse 23, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, knowing to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of the glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God and Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Boy, I love White Oak Baptist Church because it gives me a place to serve, serve others and serve my Lord. What are the two greatest commandments in the Bible? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And two, love thy neighbor as thyself. As I come to church and I serve others, watch this now, my service to others is my avenue to love God and love others. You know, you can pass out a track and lead someone to the Lord and be a good Christian without going to church. But after a while, that Christianity is going to start to drop off. Boy, I don't know where I'd be without church. If I just intentionally dropped out of church and no longer went to church, eventually my service for God is going to wane. But when we get into church and we choose to serve God and serve others, there's a, a synergy present. You show up on a Great Commission Saturday, and boy, we have people putting postcards together, and people in here praying, and people going out putting door hangers on door and doors, and people learning how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in a classroom setting, and folks going out and being encouragement to those who are weary and tired. You get to have community and fellowship, but then you get to go out and show the Stratford area that Jesus loves them this I know for the Bible tells me so you come and you serve the Lord and you find the church is the center of the hub of the wheel for service and boy when you do that you just sit back and say boy I sure love Jesus I heard a preacher say one time that uh, he he was going to develop a system to give people room to complain about the church he said the people that complain the most do the least Have you found that to be true in life? The people that complain the most do the least. He said, so we're going to create a system that you can, you can earn credits to complain. Here's how it works. For every hour you go out soul winning, you get one complaint. Every hour you show up and help at Great Commission Saturday, you get one complaint. You say, oh, some of you are tallying up how many complaints you have to throw at the church. Pastor, over the last three months I've earned 12 complaints. Boy, here they come. You know what I found is that those who serve don't want to complain. Those that serve, boy, they, they love their church too much to complain. I read this week that a healthy church, complainers leave a healthy church. The healthier church gets, the less complainers feel they fit. Church is to be a place where we serve. Don't just sit on the pew. Boy, get involved. 
Give. Give to this church. Your offerings help uh, us to be able to print literature for people to be saved. It enables us to run programs, uh, propagate the gospel. It allows the lights to be on and the property to be well taken care of so that it doesn't inhibit us from reaching the lost. Boy, your missions dollars help the gospel go all over the globe. It helps us to reach not only our Jerusalem, but also the uttermost. Letter, uh, we looked at number one, a church is to be a place of community. Number two, a place of of compassion. Notice number three, church is to be a place of correction. Of correction. Look with me, uh, in you, if you will, uh, turn with me over to Second Timothy chapter 4. You're in Jude. That would be just a handful of pages back to the left prior to the book of Hebrews there. Just shortly before the book of Hebrews, you get to Second Timothy. Second Timothy was written by Paul to his preacher boy, his pastor, Timothy. And it's a book about how a pastor is to lead a church. That's what First and Second Timothy are. And Paul is telling Timothy here that it is his place to correct the church. Look at that letter. Notice letter A here. It should correct our perspective. It should correct our perspective. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 1. It says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Look here. Preach the word. Preach the word. Um, too many churches have put the emphasis on preach, but they're not preaching the word. Right? And then other churches have emphasis on the Word, but there's not a whole lot of preaching going on. And so a balanced church has preaching, and they preach the Word. Look here. Be instant, in season, out of season. Look here. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they uh, shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You know, um, uh, back in 2019, before the pandemic uh, had uh, hit us or before corona became a thing, um, uh, churches were full on Sunday, but not churches like this one. Now, we, we, we do well. In the area, in fact, for a Baptist church in Connecticut, we're one of the top, we're one of the top five largest independent Baptist churches in the state. It's not about numbers. Praise God for that. We're doing well. We're a healthy church. But can I tell you that if you were to put us in a church circle where they don't really preach the Bible, they just sort of give a TED talk with a Bible verse mixed in there, and uh, they've got a, a really casual Christianity, those churches are loaded with people. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people go. Now, please listen to me here. I am leery of a church where they sing praise and worship music. And I'm not against praise and worship music. Some of it's excellent. But watch this. Please hear the whole statement. Don't, don't read anything I'm saying until I get all the way through. Listen. A church where they go in and they sing praise and worship music... They raise their hands, they bounce up and down, uh, they, they worship the Lord and have an emo- emotional experience, but watch this. The pastor doesn't ever preach against sin. They leave and live their sinful lifestyle and come back next week and do it all over again. Boy, that's not what church is supposed to be. You know, praise and worship music means a whole lot more if you're living a holy lifestyle. You can really worship the Lord if your heart is pure. It's hard to worship the Lord and have anything other than just a shallow, superficial experience if you're living like the world. 
Listen now. If occasionally you don't get your toes stepped on at church, you ain't going to the right church. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And ought to be times when the pastor gets up and he preaches against sin. He preaches on holy living and you feel convicted in your heart because you're not living as you ought to for the Lord. It's a place where our perspective is adjusted. Notice here, church is to be a place of correction. Not only does it correct our perspective, it corrects our practices. Look at verse 5 here, 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. But uh, watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is led it for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. What's Paul saying here? He's saying not only have I had my perspective adjusted at church, I've had my practices adjusted at church. I, I have learned how to endure affliction because I've been in church. I've learned how to be an evangelist or to evangelize with the gospel of Christ because of church. I've learned how to take my ministry role, my service role to the max because of church. These things are learned at church and they help keep us in line. A church is to be a place of community, a place of compassion, a place of correction. Notice, number four, and lastly, church is to be a place of Christianity. Turn over to Revelation chapter 3. I'm almost done. Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 14. While you're turning there, let me read for you Acts 11.26. Revelation 3.14 in your Bibles. Acts 11.26 says this, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now watch this. The Antiochians that lived in the area, the secular non-Christian Antiochians, they looked at those who went to the church of Antioch and they said, those folks remind us of somebody. Those folks are living their life just like Jesus lived his life. Let's call them Many Christs or Christians. Christians. They're different. Watch this. They're different than us. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. It says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith thee, Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. This verse is written to churches. There are churches that are lukewarm. What's that mean? They serve no purpose. And God says, a lukewarm church makes me want to vomit. But this verse is not only written to churches... Corporately, it's written to Christians singularly. If you were to sit down with Jesus in an interview room today, and he were to ask you probing questions, would he come to the conclusion that your Christianity is hot, cold, or lukewarm? Are you self-aware enough to know how to answer that question? 
I need a couple of helpers here. Brother Carlos, could you come up and help me? And Brother Vara, could you come up and help me? I hear you two are the closest to me. Now, Brother Vara, I love him. He's a good man. Um, I've been leaning on him a lot to help me, and I, I really do appreciate him. I'm, I'm saying all these things because I'm about to give him a negative roll up here, okay? Uh, but I really do love you, Brother Vara, I promise. Okay, Brother Vara, if you'd come stand right here and face that wall for me. Brother Vara is going to represent the world, all right? And as we know, the world, the, the light of the world is getting darker and darker and darker as the world gets more and more wicked, all right? Uh, Carlos here, you stand over there by that uh, lectern there, if you would, by the chair. He's going to represent the church. Face this way for me, if you would. He, he's going to represent, rather, he's going to represent Christ. And this is where the Lord would have the church to be, right by the side of Christ. And I'll represent the church. Now watch this. As the world has gotten more carnal, the church has not been following Christ. It's been following the world. Take two medium-sized steps forward, Brother Vara. Thank you very much. And this is what the church has done. You know, Christians from the 1800s, if they looked at the average church today, they, their jaw would hit the floor. They do what? They live how? You know why? Because their eyes have been on the world. I'm speaking churches as a whole. Our eyes have been on the world. They've not been on the Lord. Take a couple more steps for me. Well, I'm not like the world. Boy, are we supposed to be like the world or are we supposed to be like Christ? You see, as the church keeps its eyes on Christ and it grows closer to Christ, it doesn't care what the world does. Oh, but pastor, we have to change our methods and we have to do all this to reach people in the world. And I'm all for using methods that are relevant and modern to the time. But I'm not for a church compromising into sin so that you can reach more people with the Gospel. That's a pragmatic attitude. As long as I achieve the end result, the methods don't matter. And I have to say that if the methods contradict the Bible, then they don't please the Lord. We are to be like Christ. Now watch this. As I stand by Christ, you know what the world does? The world looks at me and says, boy, they sure are different. They're sure, they sure are extreme over there. There's a great contrast. But the church ought to look at the world and say, boy, they sure are different. They sure are extreme over there. I sure am glad I'm not like that. Now, we're not throwing stones. We want to love them and help them. Hang tight, guys. It ought to be that someone gets spit up, chewed up and spit out by the world and is reeling and hurting. And they go online and look for a church. And they walk into a church and they say, Wow, this is different. Wow, this is better. Wow, this is light. That was darkness. Boy, it's time Christians quit trying to be like the world and start trying to be like Christ. If the church loses its moral compass, then our country is hopeless. Thank you, man. You can be seated. I made a mistake this past week. I think some of you made the same mistake I made. I watched the presidential debate. Can I tell you something? I went to bed in a really bad mood. 
How many went to bed in a bad mood Tuesday night because of the debate? How many didn't watch it? Good for you. (laughs) I will not be watching the next two debates. If I do, then I'll have to get on my knees and repent for lying. Amen? You know what I'm reminded of? The answer for this country is not found in the White House. It's found right here in the church house. God checks the spiritual temperature of a country at the church house, not the White House. If He were to check your temperature, what would that temperature be? Are we lukewarm? Are we just going through the motions? Are we coming here and saying, what can the church do to bless me? I'm going to be a a taker, not a giver? We're going to church to both take and give. Some of you watching online at home, I don't mean to pick on you. If you're watching online at home and you live in the area, I hope you'll get back to church soon because we dearly, deeply miss you. But if you're watching online at home and you've been throwing yourself a pity party lately and saying, boy, the pastor sure hasn't reached out to me or someone from the church really hasn't reached out to me and and I sure wish someone would love on me, will you stop and listen to yourself? It's time that we give to the Lord, not just take. It's time that we learn to love others and not just expect everyone else to love on us. I love church. It's provided for me a place of community. It's given me an opportunity to feel and give compassion. It's given me a place where I can come and be corrected when I'm out of bounds. And it's helped hold me to a standard of what a Christian ought to be. Do you love church? Boy, let's love it some more. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, I pray you'd work in the heart of your people. Help us, Lord, not to gauge our Christianity based on how different we are from the world, but rather by how much we're like you. Lord, if there's somebody here today that has not yet professed Christ, has not yet put their faith and trust in you, may they receive the healing balm of salvation today. May they turn from their unbelief in Jesus as the Christ and repent and believe. Lord, may not one person leave this building today that's lost without first getting saved. I I beg you, Lord, that you would convict their hearts. Lord, for those of us who've grown casual and cold toward church, Help us to understand that it is your plan for every Christian to be part of a local church. Lord, there are some here who have been holding out on membership. Coming for a long time, would you work on their hearts about making it official? Some, Lord, who are members, but they're just casual. Lord, the day's coming where you're coming back for us. May you catch us serving you with our whole heart. May we be more passionate about what's eternal than we are about what's earthly. Lord, would you do a great work in our hearts this morning. Help your people to be tender-hearted. In 
Jesus' name.